I am pleased to introduce our speaker for the day. Uh, I first met Ian when he was presented to me in the hospital room right after he was born. If uh, you aren't aware of that, Ian is my, one of my sons. And uh, it's a great privilege as a father to be able to introduce his son coming to preach for us this morning. Ian is the associate pastor at Redemption Bible Chapel, where he's been for the last couple of years. Uh, you may remember Norm Miller was here uh, several weeks ago. He is the lead pastor there, and Ian joined him a couple of years ago. After he had been a part of Lightweight Church, which was a church plant from our church. And so many of you know him through that context. And Ian, uh, I guess it's... 18 years ago, 20 years ago, you were an intern at our church. So he has a lot of connections with us, and uh, so we're thrilled that he's able to come and preach for us today. Come, Ian, and share God's word with us. Thanks, Dad. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I have no memory of that hospital meeting, though. I don't remember that one. Yeah, uh, coming back uh, here is always a little bit of a homecoming uh, for my family and I. I was a young guy in, uh, at Heritage Bible College, and uh, Dwayne took a chance on me and said, why don't you come and help out? And I started doing that with kids' ministry and youth ministry, and then uh, eventually that turned into a church planting internship, and that turned into Lightweight Church, and I was there for about 13 years with my family in the East End. And uh, yeah, so lots of good memories here, and thankful for the way James North has been a support for me over the years, too. We're going to be in uh, the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 4, and you can turn there now. Uh, just looking at the past uh, number of messages you've had here and recognizing there has been a bit of a theme, whether you knew it or not, but you've uh, been introduced just to different episodes in the Apostle Paul's life and different ones of his writings, and uh, I thought this might be a, a good fit in that. So nothing can affect you quite like loneliness. A famous psychiatrist has even said if loneliness didn't exist, psychiatrists wouldn't need to exist either. Right? Think of the homeless person, no stability, no place to call their own, few constant friends. It's truly enough to drive you crazy. And think of the prisoner in solitary confinement, no interaction with people for years and they begin to doubt everything, even their own existence. Think of an infant born into an orphanage, kept from a mother's smile or voice, and, and how long it takes to recover a sense of self after all that, if at all. So loneliness, it can be painful. It can also be confusing. I mean, how is it that you can be surrounded by people and yet still feel alone? Are you a new student? Are you a young mother? Are you a newcomer to Canada? Are you a single adult? Are you the primary caregiver of somebody with lots of needs? You know. You know what loneliness is. And some nights you wonder, does anybody understand? Does anybody care? Nothing can affect you quite like loneliness. And so it is striking in the Bible's book of 2 Timothy to find the Apostle Paul in loneliness. I mean, as much as some of you might say, I am in McMaster or I am in sports, Paul is in loneliness. He's isolated, he's ostracized, he's abandoned, and yet still praising God and filled with 
hope. He talks like a man who is alone, yet not alone. Alone, yet not alone. And why is that? Well, we're going to see here, Paul says it's because the Lord is with me. It's the presence of God. That's his experience as he writes these words. That is his, his hope for life after death. So he's alone, but not alone. And one day, never alone again. So 2 Timothy, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's to his young friend, Timothy. And Timothy has been entrusted with leading and supporting churches in the ancient Roman city of Ephesus. And it hasn't been an easy task. Uh, Christianity is under suspicion as an anti-government cult. Religious fraudsters are luring people away. And Timothy's youth and his experience are being tested. And then to top it all off, Paul, Timothy's spiritual father, who's writing him this letter, is writing it from a prison in Rome, and Paul's under threat of execution. And so the tone of this whole letter has been urgent. Paul is exhorting Timothy to endure suffering, to endure suffering and strengthen the word of God in the church. And then we get to these last few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. This is kind of the, you know, the parting words here. Paul's bringing the letter to a close You'll see at the beginning and in the end, Timothy twice uh, is encouraged to come and visit Paul soon because Paul doesn't know how much longer he'll have. And he reports in these words on the comings and goings of associates and friends. And then right in the middle of these parting words, somewhere around verse 17 and 18, Paul interrupts his closing remarks to describe for Timothy how he's alone yet not alone. And Paul's example in these verses demonstrates what is true for everyone, for everyone who has received Christ as Lord and continues to live in Him. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And that is a powerful truth when you are enduring the pain or the confusion of loneliness. And so we're going we're gonna to put ourselves in Paul's place this morning. That's what we're going to do t- together. The first thing we're going to do, we're going to come alongside of Paul in his loneliness. And we're going to brace ourselves with Paul for loneliness. And then we're going to come alongside Paul again in his rejoicing. And learn, like Paul learned, that we can rejoice wherever we are because we are in God's presence too. So we're going to come alongside him, brace ourselves for loneliness, and then come alongside him even further and find that we can rejoice in loneliness too. But why don't we pause for a moment here. We'll pray and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of your word, how it allows us to see your servants, like Paul, like Timothy, And how they knew Jesus, even in the midst of their suffering. We want to know Jesus like they did. We want to know you like they knew you. So please, Father, as we look at your word, as we hear it, would you help us to see your son, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you do this in us through the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, so first thing, come alongside of Paul in his loneliness. This is going to be verses 9 to 16, and then at the end, 19 to 21. And these describe the varieties of ways that Paul was lonely, all right? So verse 9 to 16 to start. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon, 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And I'll go down to verse 19. Paul says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And I'll save that last verse for the end. So, these are the variety of ways that Paul is lonely, and it makes it clear to us that Christians aren't exempt from feeling lonely. Uh, the great boxer Muhammad Ali, when he was at the height of his fame, he was boarding a plane, and the stewardess came by and asked him to buckle his seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess looked at him and said, well, Superman don't need no plane either, right? You're still human. You're still human, buddy. Buckle up. And so is Paul. Paul is human. He's not exempt from aches and pains. There's no spiritual immunity from that. And in fact, we, we recognize from Paul's struggles that Christians may in fact experience another layer of loneliness than others because of their faith. And surely part of what Paul is doing in these verses, relaying the details of his difficulties, is to have Timothy brace himself for the loneliness that accompanies serving Christ. Brace yourself for loneliness. How has Paul been lonely? Well, he's been isolated in a Roman prison cell. He's had his name on Rome's most wanted list. Uh, this is after Emperor Nero. He accused Christians of setting fire to Rome. Uh, the, the city of Rome in about AD 64, uh, historians have it, you know, they're saying he probably set fire himself, but he's using the Christians as a scapegoat. And so this wave of arrests began in the city of Rome around A.D. 64. It caught up the apostle Peter. He was arrested at this time too, and so was Paul. So Paul's in chains. He's surviving in this cold cell made of stone without much light or warmth. Acts 28 tells us another story of Paul's first arrest, the first time he was arrested in Rome. That arrest was a house arrest, a little more comfortable. It lasted for two years, two years. So Paul knows, he's in prison now, and he's thinking, well, unless an execution date is set early, I could be here for a long time. So I'm either going to be here in prison for a long time or I'm going to be executed early. I'm not getting out. I'm not getting out. If you look at verse 11, in 21, we learn that Paul, in his loneliness, treasures those who have remained with him, who've remained with him. Verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Luke is his close friend and companion. This is the same Luke who wrote one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, and so probably he was one of Paul's only permitted visitors. Roman citizen, a physician, he had some status, he could come in and visit Paul. If you look down at verse 21, 
uh, we discover that some other Christians in Rome had been connecting with Paul. There's Eubulus and Pudence and Linus and Claudia and the brothers. So these folks in the Roman church are somehow uh, connecting with Paul, maybe helping him in a way. But by and large, as we read these verses, the emphasis isn't so much on who stuck around. It's on who's gone. It's on who's left. It's on who Paul misses. He misses the company of his friends. He, he misses Timothy. He misses Mark. So twice in verse 9 and then in verse 21, Paul urges Timothy to hurry up and visit. Come to me soon. He says, do your best to come before winter. You know, in between Ephesus where Timothy was and Rome where Paul was was the Adriatic Sea. And if you don't come before winter, you can't cross the sea during the winter. And so it's going to extend your visit for months, and I may not have that long. <laughs> and then Timothy should bring Mark. If you look in verse 11, he says, get Mark and bring him with you. And this is delightful because we know in Paul's early ministry, him and Mark had a conflict. But now at this stage of the game, Mark has grown to become a close companion of Paul on his missionary journeys. Mark is the one who recorded one of the other four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, probably based on Peter's testimony. And so Paul hopes to set his eyes on these faithful friends again. It's probably going to be the last time. Verse 13, Paul also misses the company of his winter coat and his books. You know, most likely, he was arrested in a, uh, in a hurry. They bashed the door in at night and took him away. He had to leave a lot of things behind. And so he wants his coat. It's going to help keep him warm. The books and the parchments, these might be pieces of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Maybe it's some of Paul's own writings. He's missed people, and he's missed his work. How else has Paul been alone? Well, his loneliness includes the sting of abandonment and injury, right? He names Demas and Alexander. So Demas is there in verse 10. It says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, Demas comes up earlier in Paul's journeys, and Demas was with Paul at his first arrest. But not this time. Not this time. This one maybe was too hard. This one was maybe facing a more bitter end. And the pull of the world was too strong, and Demas, Demas said, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he left. Verse 14, Paul mentions Alexander the coppersmith. This is an Alexander whose name comes up a few times in Scripture. Maybe this was a persistent opponent. And maybe the great harm that Alexander did was arranging for Paul's arrest in Troas. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, if... if it, if you're coming through and you're going to pick up my cloak in Troas where Alexander is, give him a wide berth. Give him a wide berth because you know what he did to me. So Paul has also had to say goodbye to many associates and friends. Verse 10 tells us co-workers Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 12 says Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus. You try saying that three times fast. Okay, probably Tychicus was delivering this letter to Timothy, and he was going to take Timothy's place, and Timothy was going to go back to visit Paul. In verse 19, if you go down there, Paul feels the absence of his friends Prisca and Aquila. This is Priscilla and Aquila from Acts, this wife and husband teaching team who have led churches at their home in at least three cities, and, and they ran their own business to pay for it all. In verse 19 and 20, Paul remembers other friends, Onesiphorus, Erastus, and Trophimus. He misses them. 
So here's the loneliness, right? Isolation, separation, abandonment, injury, departures. It's a catalog of loneliness. But perhaps the greatest sting is what Paul emphasizes in verse 16. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. If you were a Roman citizen like Paul was, you were given a pre-trial at your arrest. If you weren't a Roman, you were just arrested. But you were, you were given the benefit of a pre-trial if you were a citizen, and then you would remain in prison to await your verdict. And so, in a lot of ways, Paul's testimony at that pre-trial, it might have been the highlight of his ministry, the, the moment he had been living for to, to share Jesus, to share the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus in the supreme court of Rome. That was the opportunity here at this pre-trial to, to sow gospel seeds in the ears of the highest-ranking Roman judges in the empire. But when the day came, nobody stood with him. Nobody. Now, we know Paul had supporters in Rome. Luke is with him, several of the folks from local churches, and we're not told where they were at for Paul's pretrial. The point is the people he expected to be there, the people who could have stood with him, left him alone. One of the highlights of his ministry, nobody saw it, nobody heard it. Brace yourself for loneliness. The Christian life includes happy, happy reunions with old friends like Mark, but it also includes the heartache of deserters like Demas. Brace yourself for loneliness. These verses come to us like a, a, a reality check. Paul's told us he's about to cross the finish line. If you read the earlier parts of this letter, he says, I'm about to cross the finish line. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm finishing the race. Well, how are things going, Paul? How are things going, Paul, in these, in these final months? It's hard. It's hard. And so, get it out of your head. Get it out of your head that faithfulness to Christ is a big stage with lots of adoring fans. Get it out of your head that Christian faithfulness is a buzzing social media account where people hang on your every word, or that Christian faithfulness is, is a path to getting everything you want out of life. There was an interviewer who once asked Edith Schaefer, who was an influential Christian woman back in the 60s and 70s, and asked Edith Schaefer, who is the greatest Christian woman alive today? And she replied, we don't know her name. She is dying of cancer somewhere in a hospital in India. Do you see what she was saying? That faithfulness to Christ often feels unremarkable. It often feels lonely. Why? Because you're living for Jesus' glory and not your own. <laughs> you're choosing to serve Him rather than make a name for yourself. You're giving away your time and your money and your, and your energy rather than keep what could be yours. And so it can feel lonely. Faithfulness to Christ is mostly low-key and long-term and nobody knows your name. That's what faithfulness to Christ looks like most of the time. It's low-key, it's long-term, and nobody knows your name. And it would be very easy to get sour about that. It would probably get pretty easy to get bitter. 
But look at this now in verse 16. Look at verse 16 where Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he says, May it not be charged against them. That doesn't sound very sour or bitter. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? May it not be charged against them. Well, listen to this. As Paul is abandoned by all of his Christian colleagues and friends in his great moment of testimony, he echoes the words of Jesus at the cross, Father, forgive them. And he echoes somebody else's words, Stephen's words. Stephen, at whose martyrdom, Paul was holding the cloak as people stoned Stephen to death. And Stephen echoed the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them. And now Paul's going to have his chance to say, may this not be held against them. Why could Paul be struck down by loneliness but not destroyed by it? Why wasn't he swallowed up by this loneliness? And the answer is, it's because he was in a fellowship with Jesus. He was walking closely to Jesus. You might be in McMaster, you might be in sports, you might be in engineering. Paul was in loneliness, but in a much greater way, he was in Christ. He was in Christ. He was walking closely to Jesus. He was following the pattern of his master. In his loneliness, he was watching for Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know, yes, the power of his resurrection, those mountaintop moments and experiences of joy, but to know Jesus is to also participate in his sufferings. That's Philippians 3.10. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. And so walking closely with Jesus allows Paul to live in loneliness and not get swallowed up by it, to be watchful and look for Jesus in his loneliness. And in that way, he survives it. And he can actually find himself serving and loving and doing things in his loneliness. He doesn't pout does he? He doesn't pout about his loneliness. He doesn't sit there in prison wondering why his friends aren't coming to visit him. He takes the initiative. He stays in touch. He writes letters. He connects with those who are dear to him. He invites people into his loneliness. He admits that he needs people. I need friends. I miss them. He doesn't have to deny that. He understands that the world doesn't revolve around him, and so he's willing to, to send people away on mission if they'll be useful to God, right? He can let these people go. And he avoids bitterness by putting Alexander, who did him great harm, in verse 14. He puts Alexander in God's hands, right? He says, hey, let God judge Alexander. I don't need to hold on to that. And he forgives those in verse 16 who are still learning the costs of discipleship. May it not be held against them. And so Paul's example helps us brace for loneliness, to, to expect it, and then to follow Jesus through it. Now, loneliness isn't a virtue. Loneliness isn't a virtue. There's over 50 one another commands in Scripture because God has designed people and His church to be in community. You're meant to invest in and benefit from friendships. And so... Lone Ranger Christianity is not something to aspire to, okay? But sometimes loneliness is unavoidable. Sometimes loneliness is unavoidable. It's part of God's plan for working out His will in your life. So C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a famous cricket player in England, 
And he gave it all up to share Christ as a missionary in remote places through China and India and Africa. And he said this. He said, some people wish to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Stud knew to follow God's call on his life that he would have to live far away from church community, from friends. To follow God's call on his life would mean to embrace something of loneliness by God's design. But as we come alongside Paul now in verses 17 to 18, we realize that if someone has Jesus, they are never truly alone. So come alongside Paul now, verses 17 to 18. We see Paul in his rejoicing that even while he is alone, he is not alone. Verse 17 says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, the Lord stood by me. The Lord was with me. Paul rejoices in the promise of the presence of God. So he wasn't alone in that courtroom. He wasn't alone in that courtroom. You see, God has promised in the Old Testament that he will be with his people. This is one of the uh, you know, figurehead promises of the Old Testament that God would dwell with his people. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that promise was kept and it was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ who by virtue of his sin-canceling death and resurrection was able to promise his disciples, his followers, surely I am with you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And so how do you experience the presence of God today? How do you experience the presence of God? It comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit to give us his presence. The Holy Spirit pours God's love into our redeemed hearts And that's how Jesus stands by you to the very end of the age. And what's true for Paul is true for everyone who has received Christ as Lord and continues to live in him. The Lord is with you. And the good news is, that's whether you feel it or not. Whether you feel it or not, the promise is true. The Lord dwells with every one of his people. Whether you feel it or not, it's true And that is powerful when you're enduring the pain and confusion of loneliness. Do you remember that the Edith Schaefer quote, the greatest Christian woman alive today is dying alone from cancer in a hospital in India and nobody knows her name? Well, you may not know it. I may not know it. But the Lord knows it. The Lord knows her name and everything about her. And the Lord loves her. God knows your name. I read the reflections of a uh, Christian woman named Sarah, and one of Sarah's kids was born with severe physical challenges, and they were getting worse. And few people in Sarah's life could relate to that. Most didn't even know what was going on. The doctors had stalled. And Sarah said the loneliness was exponential. 
the loneliness was exponential. And after one particularly bad episode with her son, she sat on the floor and she's holding back tears. And then there's this knock at the door. And so she kind of gathers herself and she opens the door to find on the doorstep a small box containing a small, clear bottle. No note, no signature, just a, a little bottle with a scroll rolled up inside. And so she slowly unrolled the fragile piece of paper and she read these words that were written on it. And they were a few lines from the Bible's Psalm 56. This is what it said. Lord, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This I know that God is for me. And so she stood there for a moment, you know, perplexed by this unexplained box on the doorstep, no one in sight. But she says this small wave of comfort began to wash over her. In this moment of incredible heartache that no one could see but her, she felt seen and somehow less alone. Why? She was experiencing the promise of the presence of God. Her faith in God's presence increased. The God of the Bible knows me. The God of the Bible loves me. And that's how you can face loneliness too. That's how you can face loneliness. That's how you can learn to rejoice in loneliness. You go to the God who is there, who isn't surprised by your circumstances, who hears you, who cares about you, who wants you to call him Father. Paul Miller is a Christian author. He's written a few books about prayer. And he says that when you feel alone, you should pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for being my friend. Help me to feel your presence. And you should pray it slowly, and you should repeat it as often as necessary until you start to sense his presence. You remember the promise, thank you for being my friend, and then you ask him to deliver that into your heart, help me feel your presence. Now, if we come alongside Paul, even a little further in his rejoicing, do you see how God's presence, it wasn't just sensed, it was actually demonstrated in Paul's life, right? Paul says in verse 17, I knew God's presence through his strength to do the work. And then he says, I knew God's presence through his rescue of me from the lion's mouth. God's presence was demonstrated. Now, the lion's mouth probably wasn't a real lion, although plenty of Christians were fed to the lions under Nero. A Roman citizen like Paul was spared that humiliation. The lion's mouth for Paul is probably more of just a general way of talking about death's clutches. I was rescued from the door of death. Paul says, they arrested me, I went to trial, and God delivered me then. I survived my first trial. He gave me more time to write and encourage Timothy. And, and Paul praises God for the gift of more time. But Paul knows his time is running out. And that God's going to answer his next prayer with the gift of martyrdom, the privilege of being counted worthy to die for the cause of Christ. Yet his confidence in God's presence remains. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
So Paul says here that evil deeds are not going to separate me from Jesus. I am going to be brought home into the presence of God in the kingdom. The Lord's presence is felt in the here and now, and it is promised for eternity. And so Paul is alone, yet not alone, and one day never alone again. He's alone, yet not alone, and one day never alone again. Paul rejoices. And so every Christian can rejoice in loneliness because the Lord is with us. You know, tradition tells us that Paul and Peter were both arrested under Nero's persecution of Christians in AD 64, and that just months after writing this letter to Timothy, both were executed. Now, because Paul was, again, a Roman citizen, he was spared the brutal death of crucifixion. That's how Rome normally executed uh, it's, uh, you know, the non-Roman people of the cities. That's how the apostle Peter died. In fact, tradition says when Peter was being led outside to be crucified, he requested to be hung upside down so that his death would in no way be confused with the death of Jesus Christ. That's how Peter died. It's likely now instead that Paul was beheaded. He would have been brought out into the city square. And at the moment the sword fell separating his head from his neck, what do you think Paul's next realization was? At the moment the sword fell, Paul's next realization was the presence of his Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus himself experienced the depths of loneliness. Jesus was separated from heaven. He was misunderstood by his family. He was ostracized. He was rejected. He was deserted. He was put to death. And in his final hours, taking the sins of the world upon himself, Jesus experienced loneliness from even God the Father, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus cry that out? Don Carson, who's a Bible scholar, he tells the story of William Cowper. William Cowper was one of the great hymn writers. He was a scholar. He wrote essays for students in in, in Oxford and Cambridge. But in his Christian work, Cowper combined with John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. The two of them worked together, and they composed music for the church. But throughout it all, Cowper also wrestled with deep depression all his life. Four times he was institutionalized for long periods. They didn't know what else to do with people who suffered like that. Put them in an asylum four times. And each time he was released, he was nursed back to health. You know, but about a a century after Cowper's death, uh, there was a great poet named Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and she wrote a three-page poem entitled Cowper's Grave. And in this poem, she describes the influence of Cowper's scholarship, his hymns, his personal ministry, but then she begins to talk about his horrible dark nights of the soul. And in this poem, she powerfully refers to Jesus' cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is what she writes, and it's in older English, but hang in here with me. She says, yea, once Emmanuel's, that would be Jesus, yea, once Emmanuel's orphaned cry, this universe hath shaken. 
it went up single, echoless, right? Jesus cried from the cross, my God, I am forsaken. It went up from the holy's lips amidst his lost creation that of the lost, you and me, no son or daughter, that's you and me, should use these words of desolation. Jesus cried it so that no son or daughter should ever have to cry it. Carson says, do you hear what the poet is saying? Jesus cries this agonizing cry, my God, I am forsaken, so that for all eternity, William Cowper would not have to. In his depressions, Cowper doubtless felt utterly abandoned, but Christ's cry ensures that for all eternity, Cowper will never cry the same cry. Jesus cries, my God, I am forsaken, so that for all eternity, Paul will not have to. So that Ian will not have to. So that you will not have to. See, Jesus doesn't only understand your loneliness. He knows what it's like. He doesn't only understand it. He doesn't only help you brace for loneliness. Jesus is also destroying your loneliness. Because he died for your sin through faith, you're no longer a stranger to God. You are a member of God's family. And so loneliness is passing away for every Christian. It's passing away, and ahead of us is full fellowship with God and with other believers. The day is coming when you will know him as much as you are fully known today. As 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Christian author Ed Welch He says, sin separates and isolates us from God and others. Redemption breaks down barriers and makes us one. Now listen to this. He says, alone gets to the very heart of the human predicament and not alone gets to the heart of the gospel. Nothing can affect you quite like loneliness. So brace yourself. Brace yourself. But rejoice too because the Lord is with you in your loneliness alone gets to the very heart of the human predicament and not alone gets to the heart of the gospel. And let all that sink in before we read verse 22. Let all of that just sink in. Everything that Paul knew about the presence of God and everything that that includes now for the believer in Christ, that God is with you, he knows your name, he loves you. Let all of that sink in and now read the final words, most likely the final penned words of the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. Look at how he ends it. Paul says, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. And so rejoice, the Lord is near, and he is near to you. Amen. And come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the great promise of your presence. Would you please remind us and keep that promise close to our hearts and our minds this week? We too will come across abandonment, isolation, feelings of depression, and aloneness. Be near us, Lord Jesus. Be near us, I pray. Amen.